Hello, everybody. This is Deep Decathlon Discussions. Um, and today we are continuing literature. We're diving into our short works. Um, oh, quick apology for the audio quality last episode. We messed something up tech-wise and didn't want to re-record it because that was like a half hour of stuff. But yeah, we're diving into the short stories, starting with Flannery O'Connor's The River. So we'll start with like a short kind of background biography thing and then just discuss the story. So O'Connor was renowned for her stories of violence and depravity. So uh, it gives us a lot of hope for what the story's going to be like. Uh, <laughs> she often criticizes uh, those with closed minds and selfish hearts. Uh, she uh, often attacks the hypocrisy, this is quote, quote hypocrisy of self-proclaimed Christians. Uh, she's a devout Catholic, and I guess everyone who wasn't Catholic and professed to be Christian was obviously a hypocrite. Uh, so her works focus on human imperfection and a sinful world. Uh, and we see this in her, uh, in this particular uh, Should we summarize story. it real quick? Yeah, why not? Let's, let's summarize it. All right. Um, so, so, this little kid named Terry, and his parents don't really love him, which is sad. Um, so, a babysitter comes, and she's like one of those very fundamentalist Christians, and and she's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure this boy turns out right, and kind of remove the influences of his parents. So, she takes him to a a revival meeting at a river where a preacher is preaching. Um, and baptizing people, and this boy gets baptized, and the preacher tells him, like, because you're baptized, like, you're saved, you count, you matter, and this this really speaks to this young boy's loneliness, um, and so he gets back home, and he's like, you know, I've been redeemed, but his parents still don't love him, and so he's like, well, clearly it didn't work, so he goes back to the river to baptize himself again, and in doing so, he drowns, so it's really, really dark, really sad, um, love your children. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> neglect or abuse your children. Um, it's kind of the moral of the story here. Well, maybe there's another moral, but uh, that's my takeaway from it. Um, okay, yeah. So so let's discuss. Um, most of the stuff we study is good stuff with like symbolism and whatnot. So the the river itself, which shares the title with the title. Um, that's clearly symbolic. So the materials kind of repeat itself. Uh, we have, again, Harry's a neglected boy. His parents kind of atheistic household. Uh, not saying that all atheists are neglectful of their children. It's just, this is how it is in the story. Um, this is how O'Connor feels. <laughs> uh, so, again... Uh, this boy, Harry, gets baptized, feels like he counts, and this ultimately, because of the tragedy of his home life, ends up drowning in a river. Um, but, so Harry is on this, like, so this is where some symbolism gets in. Harry is this boy uh, seek, he spends the story seeking grace as a way of gaining acceptance 
he he kind of mixes mixes those two up. He doesn't realize that they're. I mean, I mean, they are similar, but in his case, like the grace of God is not gonna immediately change his personal life. Yeah, he he he's developed this association between like all the good things in life and his and religion. Like the one person that's nice to him is his uh, this Mrs. Conan and this preacher, who are both religious figures in his life. Um, and so they very heavily influence him into this ideal idea that uh, religion is associated with belonging, and it can be, and it is at times. But he kind of unhealthily associates the seeking grace for seeking acceptance among his uh, among society. And the materials get really dark here. They they do this all the time, and so it says though he doesn't obtain the type of acceptance he wants, you know, like acceptance by his parents and those around him. Harry does ultimately gain a type of acceptance, one into the kingdom of heaven, meaning he dies. That so he died, but hey, he was baptized. He's all good, right? Yeah. <laughs> The materials, they, they will, like, say stuff. Like, remember two years ago, how Frida Kahlo's life was, quote, derailed? Oh. If you don't know, Frida Kahlo was in a terrible accident where a rail um, impaled her. So to have your life derailed, it's somewhat of a dad joke, but in a very dark... Very dark dad dark. joke. The materials do it all the time. So, yeah, read the materials so you catch these little nuances. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what what else about the story do we do we want to talk about here? Well, it's just again uh, where water comes into play as a theme this year in Akadeka, where Harry has his fixation on the water because again this is associated with these positive feelings of acceptance. But it also can represent destruction. So it represents like yes. the cleanliness of of baptism and kind of this acceptance into the fold of God. But then it represents death and destruction as yeah. it carries him away in its swift currents. And O'Connor definitely played on this general, uh, general, general idea that water is cleansing, because this is a very in most religions and a lot of religions around the world, water plays a role in a cleansing and purifying process. We see this in baptism, in a lot of religions, specifically Christian religions, and other rituals that are performed by tribes and other uh, peoples throughout the world. And then she also plays on this idea that water is destructive and dark, and uh, we see both sides of this, where Harry finds acceptance in baptism, but ultimately water water is the cause of his death. <laughs> um, I found this quote from Flannery O'Connor herself in the materials, and it's once again really dark, but pretty funny. Um, and she says... She claims that Harry received a happy ending because he's, quote, saved from those nutty parents, a fate worse than death. So that shows you what she thinks. The author herself thinks that, man, it was better this kid died than live with parents like that. Don't know if I agree with that, but... Uh... She's entitled to her opinion. After all, she wrote the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what do you think about the preacher? Um, The preacher, obviously, I mean, he's... Let me Let's highlight this quote from him. Okay, so the preacher says, There ain't but one river, and that's the river of life, made out of Jesus' blood. 
Uh, that's the river you have to lay your pain in, in the river of faith, in the river of life, in the river of love, in the rich river of Jesus' blood. All the rivers come from that one river, one river, and go back to it like it was the ocean sea. So uh, the preacher, being a preacher, he's doing his job. He's relating this river to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ um, and how the atoning qualities of that. It's, it's very meta with its symbolism. So O'Connor is including her own symbolism, but then the preacher just comes out right and just says his symbolism. He's like, you know, uh, the river is cleansing and, you know, Leave your pain. It's the river of faith. It's the river of Jesus' blood. Um, so he's kind of outright saying the symbolism that is not exactly hinted at. It's a little bit different of a symbolism. There's kind of multiple, multiple viewpoints here. And this is also just concretes this idea that the river is a positive force in Harry's life. At least, at least, at least until the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so dual nature of the river, also dual nature of divinity. Um, so, oh, I, I had forgotten this until this reminded me, but I think it was kind of like a healing meeting that they went to. So they, they go to like this religious revival meeting and, you know, these people are going into the river and the preacher's healing them of their, of their ills. Um, and some people claim to be healed and other people don't. So it's kind of, this is symbolic of the kind of capricious nature of God. Like why are some people kind of, kind of this unfairness that it might seem and the river parallels that. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Anything else to say about this story? Uh, no, I don't have much else on it. Unfortunately, this one's the longest one, so I, I think I've only read it once, whereas the other ones I've kind of looked over a couple of times. So, But read read the story. It's long, but it's good. And if you just read it once, that'll give you a better understanding of, of kind of what we're talking about. Okay, we'll do, we'll do two short stories this episode, and then we'll come back with another episode on the rest of the... Well, how, how many short works do we have? Not exactly sure. But we'll get them all. Well, we'll go. We'll go a few at a time. Once we get to the shorter ones, like the Titanic poems, or you know, a paragraph each, so we can we can knock those out pretty quick. But let's get started on John Cheever's *The Swimmer*. Um, this is this this uh, short story takes place in the American uh, suburb among like some middle class people. Uh, Cheever is a traditional moralist. And he paints a very bleak picture of the lives of the American middle class, uh, focusing on their kind of family drama, their social decorum, and social status, and the values that they hold in this. Uh, Cheever was a frequent publisher, frequent pu published his stories in The New Yorker, so his name became associated with that. Just a fun fact about Cheever, The New Yorker was his Might jam. Might be a test question. Um... So yeah, The Swimmer was officially published in The New Yorker. Uh, it was taken from a bunch of notes that Cheever had taken over the years, probably jotted down some ideas, and finally formed it into this fully formed short story. Uh, so it plays a lot on this, the, uh, the uh, uh, 
Nettie Merrill, the main character of this this uh, short story, focuses a lot on his confused state of mind. He's kind of oblivious to what's really going on around him, trapped in this idea of like optimism and uh, his just his childlike. Uh, Should we summarize the? Yeah, let's let's summarize let's summarize the story, and we'll get back to how Nettie Merrill sees the world. Okay, um, so this guy he's he's hanging out at a friend's house with his with his wife, and he he decides to himself. Kind of, this seems like a childish idea, but that's kind of one of the themes of the story. Um, he decides, you know, I want to swim home in their pool. So, of course, you can't swim home, but he'll swim the length of each pool in his neighborhood as he cuts his way home. And he decides to name this the Lucinda River, this string of pools, uh, name it after his wife. But as the story goes on, I'm just going to say it, things get kind of weird <laughs> and, and confusing. Um, and, you know... He things get a little bit darker. It starts out kind of all cheery, like, oh, I've got this fun fun idea. I'm going to do this. But as he goes through, kind of the people there like him less and less, and the seasons are changing, and he finally arrives home, and his house is abandoned and decrepit. So, Kind of this main motif that we see is uh, uh, Cheever compares Merrill's life to that of like a summer's day, particularly... <laughs> One the last one that is almost over, so it, a summer day is nice and pleasant and warm and fun, but ultimately it's going to come to an end, and the story kind of shows us that uh, uh, Merrill isn't really ready for it to end. He's not facing the reality that it will end. That this uh, what what's the uh, this frivolous lifestyle won't ex exactly last forever. So. As he's, we see this in the uh, story where he starts swimming, right? He jumps in his neighbor's pool. He's obviously comfortable with his neighbors enough to do that. Um, <laughs> he jumps in the pools and starts swimming. And everyone's really friendly to him, offers him drinks and says hello. We get a glimpse at this at his neighborhood. It's a very uh, wealthy, wealthy neighborhood. Lots of alcohol, lots of parties. And this is all a positive thing, at least at the beginning of the uh the story but as it progresses the weather changes and leaves start to fall it gets darker and gloomier but Merrill still still uh kind of ignores this he says oh it's a blight yeah so the the leaves uh the, the autumn leaves are falling but he he still thinks it's summer he uh, he refuses to grow up he's he's living in the past and he thinks it's summer so he just Tells it off as, oh, the trees are blighted. That's why their leaves are falling off. Um, <clears throat> oh, another symbolism, a storm as yes. the novel progresses. Not novel. What's this? Story. Short story. Uh, as it progresses, a storm is going to set in. Um, yeah, his world is all artificial. Um, it's hollow shallow and that this is kind of a commentary by Cheever on American life because Cheever is a traditional moralist and obviously didn't subscribe to this frivolous living of where uh, there's a lot of intrigue it's evident that uh, Nettie hasn't been entirely faithful to his wife uh, alcohol is a very um, 
alcohol is very prevalent. It shows this. This is a, they live a very free flowing, careless lifestyle, and Nettie is stuck in this this idea, and I'm just saying and a lot, but. Should we get into some of the symbols? Yes, let's get into the symbols. All right, what do you think the pools symbolize? Well, so, materials tell us. <laughs> the rhetorical materials. Uh, the pools are obviously in Merrill's imagination. He's connecting them all to create this Lucinda River. But none of the waters, water he's going to swim through, none of the water he's going to swim through is natural. It's all man-made. Uh, kind of this artificial aspect again that he's like living in. Life. He's living an artificial life. So, kudos to Cheever for throwing that little tidbit in there. Mm, alcohol is another symbol. Um, yes. So at first, like it's symbolic of the merriment, carefree, party on nature of his life. But at the end, it's kind of the drunken, confused, dark, and like, kind of, sad. Yeah, it's it's goes from people drinking alcohol as part of the fun to, oh man, I'm lonely, I need to drink some alcohol kind of situation. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the main one. Well, the storm is symbolic. Um, but ultimately, uh, we find that by the end of the story, people have encountered hardship, uh, neighbors have fall on hard times, and by the time Merrill makes home, makes it home, uh, his house is decrepit and abandoned. He doesn't know where his family is. Kind of imagine it's a wonderful life where his, you know, uh, I the name left me. George, George Bailey? Bailey. George Bailey. Gosh, uh, shows up to his home and no one's home. That's how I kind of imagine Nettie Merrill showing up, except with a less happy ending. Uh, Nanny Merrill shows up and he's like, well, what the heck? And he kind of finally has to come to terms with the reality that life has moved on without him. Yes. Because he's been so stuck. Yeah. Um, other symbols we can think of, that's, that's the ones that the materials included. Um alcohol, pools, the weather, so like the storm, but also the passage of time. In both, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the the daylight, you know, fades. It's, it goes from like midday to night as the story goes on, but yeah. also the seasons go from summer to winter. So and the water like, gets colder. Just kind of this going from the happy, prosperous times to the colder, more difficult, barren times. And, and he doesn't except that that's what's happening. He tries to stay in the summer. Live in denial. <sighs> cool. I feel like we're repeating ourselves a little bit at this point, so I think that's a good indication to... Wrap up? Wrap up. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, definitely go read these stories for yourself. Study the materials. That's how you listen to this podcast. Just a supplement. Keep you a little bit entertained. Uh, but ultimately... Good, hard study is how you're going to get good scores. Heck yeah. All right. Later.